Hello, friends, and welcome back to another episode of Raising Young Achievers. I'm your host, Sharia Woods, and I am so excited about this episode because I interviewed a good friend of mine. Her name is Tanya Clark, and she is the founder of Mindful Ed. Her company focuses on helping educational leaders really thrive in their roles by focusing on themselves and their own well-being first. She's also an expert in turnaround schools and has done some really innovative work in the education space. But that's not what we talk about today. Tanya is not just someone that I admire as a professional. She is a friend and someone that I admire as a mother. She's on her own journey raising her little black boy, Gray, and we dig into the joys and challenges of that. Um, in this world where black boys are not always seen as having tremendous potential, we talk about how to navigate that, how to make sure that we're creating opportunities for our children, how to make sure that we're empowering them to really know their worth and their value and to push for their best. And there's just so many good nuggets in here about building their cultural identity and helping them develop their overall wellness. So I hope you really enjoy this one. I'm looking forward to hearing your feedback on it. And with that, here you go. Hi, Tanya. Welcome to the show. I'm so happy to have you today. You have this amazing background being a teacher, a principal, a systems leader, and then also the best job in the world, for my opinion, a mother. Yes, um, yes the most important job. And so I am just excited to share your experiences with our listeners. Can you tell me just a little bit about your background in education and what brought you to this place? Yeah, so again, like being a mom is absolutely the most important job that I have been blessed to be able to do. But I have served as a school system leader for the last 23 years, had a very traditional route into education, served as a teacher, an instructional coach, assistant principal, principal, principal supervisor, and uh, then moved into a nonprofit space to really rethink how they strategically staff campuses and really pull in different um, high leverage tools to be able to drastically improve student outcomes. So I've done that for the last 23 years, and it certainly has just influenced how I parent, my expectations for you know, what my own eight-year-old little Black boy, Gray, is exposed to, how I want to support him. Uh, be his best self. Yeah, I love that you have that background as a parent. I felt like I had background in education before Sean started school, but never having been a teacher or working on a campus, it was very eye-opening. And I feel like my work is different now because I have that perspective. It's like changed everything about how I think about school. Um, and one of the things, the reasons why I started this podcast was because I realized pretty early on that my expectations for what he should be learning and like what, what the bar was were different from the campus. Like, even though we're in a good neighborhood, A-rated school, it just felt like without that extra push, he wasn't going to get where I wanted him to go. And like, maybe that's completely normal, but I'm curious about your perspective being an educator. Do you feel... Like the average kid can get what they need to be prepared for a selective institution without parents leaning in? Like, is that even like possible? Yeah. Yeah. That is such a huge, <laughs> that's such a huge question. Um, I don't think that there's a simple answer to it, but I will say that 
as parents, I do think that there are absolutely things that we can do to make sure that our kids are well prepared for life beyond like a K-12 system, right? And be able to go into higher ed and beyond because I don't know that our schools really have the resources or quite honestly, sometimes the heart to educate all kids to, to be able to achieve their very best. As a school system, you have to be super intentional about creating that. And I just don't think that our systems across the board writ large are really even trying to take that on, quite honestly. I think there absolutely uh, are things that as parents we are going to have to do in order to make sure that our students are well prepared to be able to be successful. Yeah, I'm with you. And with Gray, one of the things that I've admired about the way that you've been parenting him and kind of just guiding him on his journey is the way that you are intentional about making sure that he is connected with his culture, like with his background as a Black boy. Why do you think that's important for a Black boy to really understand his background and where he comes from? You know, I think it absolutely comes from my own upbringing. I grew up in a predominantly Black community, people in my community and my church, they looked like me. I didn't, I was not in a predominantly white space or in predominantly white spaces until I went to high school, right? So I just remember how isolated I felt. It was just a really hard time. Also being 15 and like, you know, starting high school and doing all the things, but then to be sort of dropped into this space where nobody looks like you, you don't necessarily see yourself reflected in the teachers in your classroom or in your community anymore. It did something to me in my own development, I think, in high school. So I just wanted to make sure that my own child saw himself in his school, his churches, in our communities, and that there was just this diversity, right? Uh, I want him to be a critical thinker, collaborate with folks like across lines of differences and all of those things, but at the same time, really have a sure footing in who he is and see himself as strong and capable and competent. We live in a very diverse community. Uh, however, there aren't a lot of kids that look like him uh, in his school. There aren't a lot of teachers that look like him, not a lot of folks in leadership at his school that look like him. Um, and so for me, it is just important that I just create opportunities for him to see Black excellence. Yeah, I love that. I've been very inspired by listening to how you're being so intentional um, because with my son, it's like the same where he's in an environment where there are a few Black kids were in Garland ISD. And so there is some diversity in his school, but not nearly, you know, what I would hope for him. Yeah. So I think for me, like my strategies to make sure that, you know, he has that diversity look like, you know, he, he likes football and all the football teams around here, they're, you know, predominantly white and a lot of the coaches are white or just not of color. And so it's important to me for him to have influences outside of our home, you know, just strong black male influences. So I do drive like 40 minutes to take him to, to Dallas to a Pop Warner team so that he has an amazing Black coach who's biochemical engineer, PhD, who also like plays flag football with these boys, you know, whether it is driving an extra 30 minutes so that we are worshiping in a space where he sees other 
Black boys and Black girls like him in even our religious space. I'll also say that, you know, we have gone to predominantly white churches before and children's churches, like he's been the only. And, you know, he has that experience at school. So as a parent, I want to make sure that I'm thoughtful about what are those opportunities that I can create for him so that he doesn't necessarily have to be that? Yeah. So how do you think about teaching history? Because that's something that we've been kind of embarking on that journey. And it felt like at school, they're learning slavery yeah. <laughs> and civil rights. And so I, I think it's important for him to know and understand those things. But I also want him to have a broader view of Black history and how we're embedded in history. Sean is obsessed with the presidents. And so uh. we spend a lot of time on the presidents. And so now it's like, okay, trying to introduce like, what were Black people doing at that time? And here are Black people that were not slaves that were, and this is how they were contributing to the founding of the country and just trying to kind of broaden that, I guess, narrative of the history. How do you think about that with Gray? Yeah, I think... That's that that's interesting because in our school's curriculum, that is the narrative that is always pushed, right? Like that's what we grew up as. Like, you know, when we get to the black history, you know, curriculum, we're talking that that's exactly where it feels like oftentimes schools want our story as black people to start and end. So for me, it is making sure that we're being intentional about making sure that we're reading stories about everyday stories about Black folks. I don't care if it's the little boy who wants to go to the park and lost his puppy. Like we're looking for the, we're looking for the little brown boy. <laughs> we're looking for the brown boy on the cover. I do this even in like, you know, when we're out and about and he sees a pretty girl or I see a pretty girl. I make sure that I am saying out loud, oh, isn't that such a pretty girl? Like not a pretty Black girl, but I am pointing out, you know, <laughs> I'm pointing out cute little Black girls. You know, son. <laughs> to again, just affirm like this is what beauty looks like, right? Because mm -hmm. he goes to a school, a lot of his after school curricular type things, like you know, he goes to like a, little, a, a gym. They're not little girls, or not folks that look like him. So, just in very small ways, I am always trying to think about like how can I make sure that he sees himself, sees what beauty looks like, sounds like, feels like that is a reflection of him. I think that it is something that we have, we have to, I have to, collectively, we have to cultivate in our children because society sort of like defaults to like whiteness and we have to be intentional about like making sure that our kids default to like who they are, right? Yeah, the narratives around Black boys are so dangerous and scary. Mm for them to be consuming and for them to be taking in and sometimes reinforced by some of the realities that they may see yeah. around, you know? And so it's like, how do we make sure that they see themselves? Number one is an individual, like That's you right. are you <laughs> right. and then your color does not, you know, negatively impact you or your life or your prospects. Yeah. It's such an important, I guess, counter narrative that we have to figure out how to it's not like indoctrination that feels like not the right word, but it's like constantly yeah. reinforcing like, no, this is the truth. This is the truth. This is the truth. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to, I am going to tell you this story that just like, it, it really sort of, it, it left such a icky taste in my mouth. And I don't know if I shared this with you before, but 
you know, we had walked into to, to his school and the they had like an SRO officer there and um you know it was a teacher in the hallway or what have you and this is this is his first year at this particular school and so they walk in and you know he's a he's a pretty tall boy and you know he he does play football but you know he's he's a little thick little chocolate drop for me <laughs> and so the SRO officer looks at him and was like oh my gosh look at you like do you play football do you run track like that was like their immediate like response to him and like just upon looking at him and it just broke my heart as a mother right because I'm just like why would that be the thing that you say to this little eight-year-old boy like do you do, do you run track do you play football you'd be a great football player like he has the cutest little blue Oakley glasses and his little backpack and he's holding his book why not say like oh my gosh like you know you look like you really enjoy reading. Do you love science? Do you love, you know, math? Like, tell me about those things. It was like this default to, you know, you you look like a great athlete, yeah. right? And it's and supposed so to be a compliment. Like, it's not even like it's coming from a dark place or anything, exactly. but it's, yeah. No, and so later that day, and sometimes I'm intentional about it. Like, I was talking to a girlfriend in his presence and I told her, I was like, this is what this, this is how this made me feel. And so, and I talked to, you know, to him about it. And he was like, I guess I didn't really think about it like that, but I guess you're right. But that is sort of my responsibility too, as a parent to like sort of raise his awareness around those things, just even in the slightest of ways, just to remind him that like you are who you are. Yeah. And if you, yeah. if you choose to be an athlete, like that's amazing, like we'll support you, but there's so many other things. I had a similar experience it wasn't in front of my son but I was talking to a friend and I was like yeah Sean is so tall and he's growing he's like oh yeah he might be like a basketball player or something like that and I was like well you know CEOs they're really tall too <laughs> right politicians they're tall too um so there are other things that we can leverage this hype for right again like how do we make sure that we are just just countering those narratives I mean especially down here in the south I mean yeah. But Southern girl born and bred and it is the reality. I know you guys went to the Juanita Craft House. For the for the listeners who are not familiar with Dallas history, Juanita Craft was a leader in the civil rights movement in Dallas. She had a house in a historic neighborhood and the house is still standing and the city's purchased it, turned it into a museum. You can literally walk through her house and the walls are covered with her pictures, stories from the newspaper, historical markers. So you take a journey through her life, but then it's a journey through civil rights in the context of her life. And tell us what that experience was like for you. This past Juneteenth, I took Gray, my eight-year-old, to the Winita Craft house. What was so important about it is oftentimes kids, like they think of slavery and all of those things in the olden times like right like oh it happened so long ago but for this to be a home still standing in our city 30 minutes from our home that he could be able to walk in and see parts of the city that, like fair park for example like he goes to the fair every year so 
it, it didn't seem as foreign to him. It felt like something he could touch and relate. I think it sort of brought to home like, oh, maybe this wasn't as long ago as I thought it was. And he mm. had a lot more questions around. So was it like that when you I think it was like he was he was sort of putting it you know putting it putting things in perspective for himself and how things have changed here recently or not but he was he was like super curious just about segregation and desegregation and what that looked like in Dallas and what did it mean little black boys and little white boys couldn't play together or they had to drink from different water fountains or there wasn't this right to vote. We talk about voting in our house. We talk about like, you know, just our own like civil responsibilities. And for him to think about this being a right that was pretty recent for Black folks. I think it it was, it was intriguing to him. Like, I think it just sort of puts time in perspective for him around some of these civil rights actions. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So how do you think about wellness? I know you are into yoga. You do yoga with boys. I want to hear about that and just how you're incorporating that into your motherhood. Yeah. So my wellness journey started as a school leader, just really thinking about how am I taking good care of myself so that I can, one, show up for myself, show up for my family, be able to show up for my staff, the community that I was committed to as a school leader. And so I started like my own mindfulness and mindfulness practices and yoga went on to become a certified yoga teacher. Even as a school leader, a lot of the communities that I worked in, oftentimes many of our kids came to school with like lots of trauma. We know if kids aren't well regulated, then they're not going to be able to be rational, be ready to ready to work. So We incorporated mindfulness practices at my campuses as well. Even as a school principal, I really urged teachers to, even if it was just slowing down and taking deep breaths or starting with class meetings, things like that. So I certainly incorporated those practices as a school leader, but it was really after I left the principalship that I think like my own practices deepened even more. And here recently, I have started to write this little curriculum for Black and Brown boys called Broga. And (laughs) I love it. (laughs) Yes. Broga really started out as this after school club that I pitched to my son's principal. At the time, he went to an all boys school in Dallas ISD and I could see in gray my own son like how he was having really big emotions sometimes like we were kind of going through some of those things at home and so we were doing some of those practices he was getting really good at it I just wanted to be able to like bring this practice because I did see that it really helped him and it worked I just wanted to be able to bring the practice to other little black, black and brown boys and so we were doing some of those practices he was getting really good at it I wanted to just be able to continue to extend this to others. So anyway, pitched it to his school principal and she was like, absolutely, yes. Like we can do it as an after-school program. So started out with like an eight-week course. Every week I would get a bunch of boys together and we would do meditation. We do mindfulness, we do yoga. And each class was centered around a character foci, right? So 
we would have a class around leadership and we would do mindfulness meditation around what does it mean to be a leader and how are we leaders of our own Sales. We would we had a class on self-awareness. You know, we talked about it, what it meant to be self-aware, humility, all the things. And so again, that was just a really sweet time to be able to share the practice with other black and brown boys who, you know, were able to learn to self-regulate in some ways and just get some movement out. I love that. I can't wait for you to expand that so Sean can go. It's so hard to get him to do yoga and that sort of thing because he doesn't see it as something for boys. Mm. But if we had some place we could go, that was all boys. He would love it. Just saying. I know. Stay tuned. So I guess as we wrap up today, as you think about the moms that are listening, dealing with similar struggles, whether their kids are going to like a primarily like white campus or even if they're at a, a campus that's more diverse, what's one thing that you would tell them as you think about what they're going through right now? One thing that I would say certainly would be remember why you chose for your child to be there in the first place, right? There was a reason why you were drawn to the community, the neighborhood, the school, wherever it was. So first of all, remember your why. Do not get sidetracked from that. The other thing that I would say is to just remind yourself that we are our child's first teacher, right? So regardless of what space we're sending them to we as the parent like as the as mamas we get a chance to be our children's first teacher so make sure that we are filling them with the things that we want and need them to hear about who they are what we believe that they can do who we know that they'll you know eventually be I love it. Thanks so much, Tanya, for joining me today. I'm sure the mamas who are listening are going to get so much value from what you shared as we all work to reinforce our sons and our daughters' value and helping them see themselves as the beautiful blessings that they are. Um, So thank you. For sure. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So you see what I was talking about, right? Tanya is amazing. There were so many gems in there and thinking about how we bring up our sons to know who they are, be proud of who they are, and where they come from, and also know how to self-regulate and show up in this world ready for all of the challenges that will inevitably present themselves. It's just amazing. If you want to know more about Tanya, you can find her at tanyasclark.com. Thanks again for joining me today. If you like this episode, I hope you will follow the Raising Young Achievers podcast so you can get more from us. You can also find me at Raising Young Achievers on Instagram. I would love it if you would send me a note, send me a message and tell me how this episode landed with you. I also have a free gift for you in the show notes. If you are trying to figure out how to support your child with math, I have a great free workshop on my website where you can learn the strategies that I'm using with my son, including how we leverage the completely free platform Khan Academy as we are working to keep improving his math skills. Until next time, friends, I hope you are well. Have a great week.